Thanks for joining us today for the Lighthouse Church Podcast. We love hearing stories about how this podcast and how our church encourages and allows us to use God's Word to reach others not just in our area, but all over the world. If you got a story about something you've heard on this podcast that has made a difference in your life, let us know by emailing us at amen at lighthouseag.com. We'd love to hear about it. Also, if you'd like to help this ministry financially, you can do so online at www.lighthouseag.com by clicking on the online giving and help us bring this message and others like it to you each week. Thanks for joining us. We encourage you to open your heart and minds today to experience a word from God. Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. Last week, we shared with you about what leaders wanted you to know about the end times. And today I want to focus in upon one aspect of what Jesus told his disciples would take place in the last days. As the coming of the Lord draws near, Jesus tells them these are going to be some things that you're going to see taking place. These are going to be some things that the world is going to experience and the church is going to experience. And we're going to turn into chapter 24, verse 9. It says, then you will be handed over, Jesus is speaking To his followers, he said, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of who of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The end is not going to come until these things take place. The scripture says, Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak very clearly and concisely to our hearts, Father. I pray for what it is that we need to hear and what it is that we need to receive and how this portion of scripture is relevant to us today here in the church in America. I pray that you would make that plain to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus said, that there's going to be a time of persecution that will arise before the coming of the Lord. Throughout history, the church of Jesus Christ has experienced seasons of persecution in various parts of the world. Various kingdoms and rulers and nations have risen up against the church with a desire to stamp out the message of the gospel, with a desire to rid their nation and their land of followers of Jesus. And not one of them have lasted. Not one of them have stood. Because even after these great rulers and leaders have stood and made their proclamation, and and in spite of all of the horrible atrocities that they have committed against the followers of Christ, they are dead and gone, and the church is still alive and well today. 
in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulties, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well and thriving today. And many of these nations that positioned themselves against God, and many of these rulers and these leaders who said that they would remove his name and his remembrance from their land, friends, they're dead and gone, they're in the ground. But the church is still alive. And the church is the bride of Christ. God cares for his church. He loves his church. He nurtures his church. In spite of all of the difficulties and the persecution that people have had simply because they believed on the name of Jesus. The horrific acts that human beings commit against one another is literally unbelievable. If you read throughout history, the atrocities and the way that people can treat human beings, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. But Jesus said before his coming in the end of times, there will be a time of persecution. And he says that people will be put to death. He says that his followers will be hated by all nations because of him, not because his followers have fed the poor. Not because his followers have drilled wells. Not because his followers have established hospitals. Not because of all of the good deeds that his followers have done. He says that you will be hated because of me. He says simply because you are connected to me that you will be hated because of that. And friend, there is a spirit of antichrist that is at work today. There's a spirit of antichrist that is at work today in the earth. In the last days, according to scripture, things are going to grow worse. There is a spirit of antichrist that inspires a hatred for God and for those who follow him. We think that it's just a, well, that's a emperor had a bad day. We think that, wow, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, so he burned Christians alive. It must have been a, you know, he must have had a hard week that week. No, they are demonically influenced by Satan. It's not just the person. There's a greater influence that is at work in their lives and in government systems that directs and controls. There's a spirit of antichrist that is at work, and it causes them to want to destroy and wipe out anyone who is followers of Jesus. It gives them a hatred towards God. That spirit is subtly at work, subtly, excuse me, at work in our country today. Now, we know that there are countries in the past where, once again, they've tried to stamp out the name of Jesus, where they forbid people to speak his name, where they would round up people who were in the church or who tried to worship God and they would execute them and and the suffering that has happened throughout 2,000 years of history. In America, we've experienced relative freedom. However, the spirit of Antichrist is still at work. Notice how many in society have such animosity against God, the word of God, and the church of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to just go ahead on the internet And just read what people say about God. Read what people say about the church. It's not an indifference for many. For many, there's an actual hatred for God. If you talk about God, they don't want to hear anything about it. And it's not just that they don't want to hear anything about it. It goes beyond that where they despise 
If you try to say anything about God, they despise him. There's something that's motivating that. It's not just a natural hatred. Read the comments and the disdain that you hear people talking about God with. And once again, it's not just a dislike. They despise anything that has to do with the word of God and the truth. Now, in America, we've been largely protected from experienced persecution, like many of our brothers and sisters have experienced around the world, in particular in Islamic countries around the world. One of the things that's important for us to understand is that we are not superior. I think in America, we've kind of come to believe that somehow we are superior to other nations, that maybe we're just a little special to God. We are special to God, but we're a little more special than some of our brothers and sisters who were born in countries where that are, have certain regimes in place. Somehow we feel that somehow we're privileged. We need to understand that we are not superior to those saints who are suffering. But we better not become complacent and think that persecution or suffering will never come to us. Don't become complacent. Throughout scripture, there's warnings to God's people who were at ease in Zion, okay? There's warnings to God's people to don't think, don't take for granted the grace and the favor of God that's upon us. I've been preparing for this message by reading some, just trying to do some research about the persecution of the church. And one of the articles that I read was AGTS, the Assembly of God Theological Seminary, one of their speakers had been a missionary to Nigeria. The names were Scott and Lavana Ennis. And they were missionaries to Nigeria. And she had to come back in 2008 because she was suffering from PTSD because of the things that she had experienced. And as she wrote this article and spoke at their graduation ceremony, after she came back to the U.S., she got counseling and started working on her graduate studies here. And she was one of the speakers. And so as I read her article... She talked about in 2008, whenever they came back, she was so stressed out, she couldn't sleep. So many emotions going on that she'd grown up to accept Jesus at three years old. And she gave her heart to him and all of her life she had lived for the Lord. And then she goes over to Nigeria and and in Nigeria, she saw Christian brothers and sisters whose homes and churches and businesses were burned and destroyed by Islamic radicals. It was her and her husband's best friend. He was a district superintendent. She didn't see it, but he was attacked by Islamic radicals and they cut off both of his arms and both of his legs and gouged out his eyes. This is a man who had led tens, at least 10,000 people to Christ. Thousands and thousands of people had come to Christ through his ministry. They cut off both of his arms. They cut off both of his legs. They gouge out his eyes and then they set his body on fire in public. And she began to question, God, where are you at? How do I figure out or reconcile this God who loves me and God who cares about me and God who has a good plan for my life when I stand and I see your servants suffering and their families suffering such horrible loss? Why don't you intervene? Why don't you deliver? Currently, in Iraq, Christians are suffering incredible persecution at the hands of ISIS. Some of the articles that I read, and you know, with the internet, you got to be careful because not everything on the internet is, is, you do know that, right? 
But one of the articles that I had read was about a five-year-old boy who's the son of a founding member of St. George's Anglican Church in Baghdad. He was slaughtered by Islamic State terrorist, better known as ISIS, who cut the boy in half during an attack on the Christian town of, and I'm going to mess up the pronunciation of it, but it's Karakush. The Anglican canon Andrew White of St. George's Church told the communion news service, I just had somebody in my room whose little child was cut in half. I'm in tears. I baptized his child in my church in Baghdad. This little boy, they named him after me. He was called Andrew. And these Islamic radicals cut him in half in front of his family. Christian refugees who fled to the city seeking shelter in the Christian town were forced to flee again by the tens of thousands as Islamic State forces began invading the Peshmerga-controlled regions of the country. Also, there's another gentleman, and and CBN News reported this, Iraqi Christian and Chaldean-American businessman, Mark Arbo, said that the evil being carried out by ISIS militants in Iraq now includes shocking beheadings of children. He says they're systematically beheading children, mothers, and fathers. The world hasn't seen evil like this for generations. He says there's actually a park in Mosul that they've beheaded children and put their heads on sticks. He told CNN's Jonathan Mann. And they have them in the park. And he goes on to say these are crimes against humanity. The whole world should come together. This is much broader than a community or faith. This is crimes against humanity. They are doing the most horrendous and heartbreaking things you can think of, he explained. Addressing the plight of Christians in Mosul, Iraq's second largest city, since it was captured by ISIS, Arabo said 95% of them were forced to flee, while some 5% of the Christian population converted to Islam. They have a choice. You can run. You can convert, or you can die. They also gave him another choice, and I'll read that one to you in a few moments. He said, even Christians who thought they could escape the persecution by paying a fine discovered later that there was no honor among militants. Well, can you imagine that? The letter that they sent out with those three items, convert, pay a fine, or die. They did ask to pay a fine, but actually after they pay a fine, the ISIS militants are actually taking over their wives and their daughters and making them into their own wives. So really, it's a convert or die, face death by the sword, explained Arabo. And for those who fled to the neighboring areas of Iraq, said Arabo, the militants have ensured that the Christians harbor no hope of returning to their homes or businesses. They've marked the red stamp of death on Christian homes and basically saying, we know who you are, And if you come back, you will get killed. That's why we're saying this is a Christian holocaust within our midst. And the world community cannot turn a blind eye, says Arabo. They are absolutely killing every Christian they see. This is a genocide in every sense of the word. They want people to convert, and they want Shahira law to be the law of the land. Throughout Scripture, we find that there were people who were vicious. 
these guys, even if you listen to the news, even other terror groups are saying, you guys are bad. Can you believe that? Terrorist groups who they tell their people to strap a bomb to themselves and to go in and blow up local community places and to blow themselves up and to just to wreak havoc are saying about these ISIS people, we don't want anything to do with them. Even the terrorists are condemning these terrorists. That's the reason with Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh. Do you know why he didn't want to go? Because of their day, they were horrible. They were terrorists. They abused people in ways that are unfathomable, the horrible things that they do. And Jonah said, if I don't want to go, because I know if I go and speak to them, that they'll repent and you'll have mercy And I don't want that to happen. This idea of people being horrible to one another and abusing people is certainly nothing that's new. As I read these articles, there were numerous Pentagon officials and political officials who warned about the dangers of ISIS directed towards America. In fact, ISIS says to America, we're coming for you next. And I want to say this to you. Don't let anybody lie to you. I know we're supposed to be politically correct. And I know the church is all politically correct and all this stuff. Islam, it's not a religion of peace. I don't think we got to be harsh or mean to people, but they are not a religion of peace. If you look around the world, the nations where Christians are being persecuted is largely in Islamic nations. Okay, that's where the vast majority where Christians are experiencing persecution. I start with, what do we do about the persecution as Christians? Is it right to put our head in the sand and do nothing? Is that what we do? Do we do like the Germans who sat and worshipped in their churches? Listen, they worshipped in their churches. As the trains went by their churches going to the death camp. And they would sing louder each time the train went by because they tried to drown out the sounds of what they knew was happening. What do we say about a people who stand by and do nothing and do nothing while others who are weak or powerless or those who are marginalized in society? Do we stand by and do nothing? Do we keep our head in the sand? Will we give an account to God for doing nothing? Is it enough to wear a bracelet or put a bumper sticker on your car? That's what I'm going to do in my standing up against injustice. Is it enough when I stand before God? Is it going to be enough that I wore a bracelet? Is that going to be enough? Well, I'm raising awareness. Really? Okay. Well, that's good. I hope that when I'm in a situation where I need help, I hope you don't put on a bracelet. I just want to be honest. You're not the kind of help I'm looking for. Is it enough to wear a bracelet or to to put a bumper sticker on our car? Well, I'm going to raise awareness. Is that enough for us to respond What are some things that we're sure of? What are some things that we know when other brothers and sisters are being persecuted and suffering? What are some things that we're sure God would want us to do? One thing that we can never go wrong for doing is pray. You can never go wrong when you pray. Now, sometimes God wants you to do something other than just pray. If you see your brother in need, And close up your bowels of compassion. Where's the love of God? Okay, so you can see your brother in need and he needs something to eat. He needs something to drink. 
and you sit and pray for him, God, I pray you'd give him something to eat while you have a uh, cabinet full of food, I think God wants us to move beyond prayer sometimes. However, one of the greatest things that we can do is we can pray and we can intercede. We can stand in the gap for our brothers and sisters around the world. What's something else that we know for sure God would want us to do for people who are suffering and who are in need? He would want us to help them. We know that if there's someone in need, if there's someone who is suffering, God calls his people to tangible acts of caring for the needy, of caring for those who are suffering, of relieving injustice in the earth. Later, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. One of the neat things about being a part of a fellowship of churches, 68 million believers around the world are a part of our fellowship. And there's churches today in the middle of Iraq, in other regions where people are fleeing to. And our fellowship is raising money, 95 cents out of every dollar that you give. In our fellowship, there's a 5% administrative cost to do things because there are expenses of doing that. But 95 cents out of every dollar that you give will go to provide food and support to these churches that are caring for these refugees that are traveling. And what a great place whenever other organizations can't get in there. There's local churches on the ground with believers like you and me who can care for the needs of their brothers and sisters. They just need help to do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service and joining with literally churches all across America who are helping with that, to feed and care for the refugees escaping persecution. I'm trying to work out my theology. I got to be honest with you. Can I just be honest? I'm trying to work out my theology and have an understanding of, God, what is it that you want us to do? Richie theology says, who has a five-year-old? Okay, we got some five-year-olds right here. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. If they were cutting your baby apart, your little son apart, what would you think of me and the men of the church if we stand by and watch? I would honestly think you're a coward. That's what I would think. What are you doing? If they were raping your daughter and we stood by and watched, my understanding is you deal with injustice with strength. I'm trying to work that out. The good, you overcome evil with good. And that you need strong, there's wolves. And shepherds had clubs and staffs. The club wasn't for the sheep. It was for the wolves, okay? So I'm trying to work out that thing of, well, we got drones. Boom. And I'm not sure, I'm just being honest. I'm not sure how that fits in. They cut one kid in half and then you turn the other cheek and give them another kid. I don't see that being what God would want. But I'm trying to understand of not having a hatred towards a people who can do those kind of things. And yet, understanding that we have a responsibility. The strong have a responsibility to protect the weak. The strong have a responsibility to care for those. The advantaged have a responsibility to care for those in a place who are disadvantaged. To stop injustice. I do know this, though. In the Old Testament, Esther was encouraged to go to the king. It was a situation much like this. It was a situation much like this, and they're going to wipe out her people. There was an edict that said that they could do it. And 
Esther was encouraged to go to the king and to ask for the right for the Jews to defend themselves. In Esther chapter 4, verse 13, Mordecai tells her it's important that she goes and tells her what's going on. And she says, well, if I go before the king, and you know the situation, if I go before the king without him calling, they could take my life. And Mordecai sends back this message. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. I want to read that to you one more time. He says, do not think because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. What do I think about that? When I think about that, I think, and as we compare that from the Old Testament to today, I think of us sitting here in America And we look over at our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution, and we think it's never going to touch us. I'm not a gloom, doom guy, and and oftentimes I shy away from preaching on current events because when I was a kid, they would always say, like, 86 reasons why Jesus would come in 86. Now, we're not saying he's coming in 86 because no man knows the day nor the hour. And they would try to scare the devil out of you. They would create fear in people's hearts and after a while it was almost like false alarms and your heart would grow hard and I'm not trying to do that I want to stay as far away from that as possible yet as a watchman on the wall we do have to warn people when dangerous times come and so as the church of Jesus Christ is here in America who's experienced such blessing and such prosperity and if you hungry if you are we got the food bank we'll help you before you leave you have a place to lay your head? Has anyone came and stolen your house? Is there a red mark on your house that says, if you stay here, if you come back, we're going to kill you? No. Here in America, we've experienced such blessing and prosperity. But don't believe that difficult times could never come to America. Throughout history, there's been people who thought it will never touch us. Until one day they wake and realize that they were mistaken. You realize that the end of this whole story, and I'm all for peace and all that good stuff, but you do understand, let's make it very clear, that the end of this story does not end by negotiations or giving in to the enemy. The end of this story, the ultimate end, ends in a battle. It's not going to be, well, I'll give in and I'll give you this and we'll give you that and then you'll be happy. It doesn't end that way. If you read the book, it doesn't end that way. That's not the way it ends. It ends in a battle in which the armies of God defeat the armies of the enemy. I just want to make sure that I'm on the right side. 
that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Our battle is not just a physical, fleshly battle, but it's a battle of the spirit realms. And may I just tell you this, that the persecution of the church is not just a religion or a group of people who are doing it. Who do you think is behind that? Who do you think is influencing the minds and the hearts and the attitudes of those people who hate the church of Jesus Christ and hate followers of Jesus Christ? Ultimately, Satan is the influencer of those things. And I'm not trying to fire people up emotionally, things like that. That's just the reality. This does not end ultimately. Now, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be things that take place. There'll be peace accords that last for a while. The end of the days does not end in us negotiating and coming to an agreement. It ends when the King of Kings and the Lord Lord comes riding on a white horse and he defeats once and for all. The scripture that I had for you as we close, in Revelation 17, verse 5, You can read about it. Earlier it talks about the battle when the nations gather for this final battle at Armageddon. In Revelation 17, verse 5 is the next chapter. And it talks about the great whore Babylon. And it says, Revelation 17, 5, this title was written on her forehead. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk, was drunk, with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. What was she drunk on? What was it? The blood. The blood of who? Of the martyrs, of the saints, the blood of the persecuted church. She was drunk on it. She could not get her enough fill of that. That's what it's going to be at the end of times. Now, is this another one of those warning signs to us? Is this one of the many throughout history that we've seen who rise up and come to nothing? Or are these birth pains, as the scripture says, reminding us of the soon coming of the Lord? I hope that persecution never comes here to America. I hope that America turns to God. I hope that we in this country politically that we side with Israel there's something about blessing Israel we want to bless Israel they're God's chosen people I hope that this country is concerned and uses its strength and its power that God has given it its affluence and influence to protect those not only Christians here's our thing our first commitment is to the body of Christ that's our first when there's a priority Our first commitment is to our brothers and sisters. That's something we need to really recognize. That this country cares for, to whatever people who are downtrodden or marginalized or forgotten or abused. But as a church, I just hope that we are in a place that should persecution come our way, that we wouldn't be like those ones who deny him. That we wouldn't be like those ones who turn on. He says that's what's going to happen. They're going to turn on one another. They're going to hate one another. Lord Jesus, we hear these messages, and I know that there's something more that we should do than just write a check. I know that we need to pray. We need to prepare our hearts. Lord, we need to speak up 
to our government. We need to speak up to our government and those in authority, those who have a power to protect weak and innocent people, lives. We pray, God, that you would move upon our hearts and share with us what we're to do. I pray that when we're done that writing a check, that's the least, that's the least thing we can do. I pray that we would do what you would say to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move upon our heart and impress upon our hearts what we can do for the persecuted church, not only in Iraq, that's where our focus was today, but around the world. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that whatever you need to do in our hearts, as we've heard this word, however it needs to apply, I pray the Holy Spirit would make that real to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.